3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. It is our very last live show of 2023. Today is the 12th of December and it is just turning to 7am. My name is Carnegie and I'm joined in the studio today uh, with Francis and Ivka. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. How is everybody? How are we feeling about our final show of the year? Excited. I can't believe it's been a year... the last live show of last year was around the time I started, so I've been on the program for about a year, which is wild to think about, but yeah, ready for a bit of a break. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I, I've been here almost three years and every year I'm like, what, how did, what happened, <laughs> like where did that yeah. time go? Yeah, I'm just new, so I think um, I'm still learning all the things and um, I'll have to be back next year for our first live show of 2024. Absolutely. We've got, as always, a big show coming up today, um, which is primarily um, focused on what's happening in Palestine. A quick recap on what we're what we're having on the show today. So we're we're going to start with uh, listening to the Women on the Line episode that just aired yesterday. Um, it is um, a teach-in uh, called "How to Talk About Gaza." Um, and we're just going to listen to the start of that one this morning to start off our show. Uh, at 7.30, we'll be playing a clip from Solidarity Breakfast, which brought us speeches from the Respect Rally that took place in Melbourne on Friday 24th of November. Uh, in this clip, we'll hear from Antoinette Braybrook, the CEO of JIRA, uh, who will be opening that rally, which was the start of the UN's 16 Days of Action, calling for an end to violence against girls and women globally. Then at 7.45, we'll be listening to a conversation that Fung had with Lana from the Sit Intifada uh, on the importance of ongoing uh, the ongoing fight for Palestinian justice and liberation through this uh, protest that's really gaining a lot of traction. Then at 8 o'clock, we'll be speaking with Liz Walsh from the Victorian Socialists about a pro-Palestine motion that nearly didn't, but did at the last minute, pass at Maribyrnong City Council. And at 8.15, we'll be joined by Palestinian musician Yara, who is based here in um, Melbourne. Uh, I saw Yara perform at Queenscliff Music Festival a few weeks ago, and she spoke about wanting to... Uh, explore using music in activism and what what that's going to look like and what that means so really excited to have her on the show to chat amazing it's a big show coming up today um so stay tuned we will be right back with our news headlines after these messages
What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them. This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. These are our news headlines for this morning. So yesterday, on Monday 11th of December, Federal Minister Claire O'Neill announced an overhaul of the government's migration system. This was in part a response to a review of Australia's migration program, which was uh, released in March of this year by our lead investigator, Dr. Martin Parkinson. That review uh, noted, quote, uh, Australia's migration program is not fit for purpose. The objectives of the program are unclear and successive governments and policymakers have responded with piecemeal reforms. Australia now has a migration program that fails to attract the most highly skilled migrants and fails to enable business to efficiently access workers. It also said at the same time there's a clear evidence of systemic exploitation and the risk of an emerging permanently temporary underclass. This uh, report was followed by the government's new strategy and the press release was announced yesterday entitled Fixing Australia's Broken Migration System. And it notes uh, the aim of bringing migration back to sustainable, normal levels. Uh, This new strategy focuses on a few uh, key measures, a new skills in demand visa to attract highly skilled workers, increasing minimum English language requirements for international students and restriction of entry to those who aren't deemed to be genuine students measures to stop onshore visa hopping, which aims to limit the amount of people who are living on a permanently temporary basis. So some of these are important reforms, including measures which aim to reduce the exploitation of migrant workers. For example, the reforms will decouple a migrant's visa from their sponsoring employer and allows the migrant more days than previously to find a new sponsor uh, and can continue work during that time. But it's difficult overall not to see this new migration strategy from the Labor government as part of a larger response to recent fear-mongering about immigration and part of a dehumanising, criminalising and politicising approach to migration. Rachel Stevens, a research fellow from Australian Catholic University, wrote in an article published in The Conversation yesterday about some of the key gaps and problems for example, on temporary migrant supports and pathway to permanency, not all groups access these changes. Uh, the 38,000 Pacific Islanders entering each year on the Pacific Australia Labor Mobility Scheme will not benefit from these reforms. 
Also on the international student measures, uh, Stevens warns that the political rhetoric on international students and their alleged misuse of the visa system may foster a public backlash, as we've seen previously. Also on international students, uh, previously uncapped hours of paid work, which they were eligible for, has been replaced by a 48-hour per fortnight limit. Uh, And this will cause problems to make ends meet in a cost of living crisis um, and will disadvantage international students. Uh, Finally, Stevens notes lack of detail on some key issues. Uh, Family reunification is given very little space and includes no policy recommendations. And also Australia's humanitarian program is given little uh, space in this new strategy. Uh, Also in the news is a recent NDIS review. So last Thursday, 7th of December, a large review of the National Disability Insurance Scheme was released. Um, The review was led by co-chairs Professor Bruce Bonhady and Ms Lisa Paul, and it examined the design, operations and sustainability of the NDIS. Uh, It was entitled Working Together to Deliver the NDIS and the independent review made 26 recommendations with 139 actions. Uh, It aimed to commit to a unified ecosystem. That's a quote from the report. The NDIS should be part one part of a big system that supports people with disability and that the system should be looked at as a whole. Uh, The review's recommendations included legislative form, improving eligibility and access, as well as early intervention pathways for children, foundational supports, which should be available to all Australians, whether they are on the NDIS or not, uh, things around fairer living, uh, support and fairer housing, and um, people with disability Australia have responded to the report, welcoming additional funding and steps to address gaps in support for people with disability. Uh, A quote from the People with Disability Australia President Nicole Lee is, uh, this report acknowledges what disabled people have known and experienced our entire lives. That support for us outside the NDIS is sorely lacking and must be improved. We know the NDIS has done some heavy and much needed lifting, but even with the scheme, people have struggled to access the supports they need to live free and equal lives and participate fully in the community. Uh, Lee notes a couple of things uh, that they don't want to see, including channeling people into alternatives to NDIS support that aren't ready, aren't funded and aren't working. Um, Also, they don't want to see a location lottery. Foundational supports must be available and consistent. And a lot needs to happen, they say, both inside and outside the NDIS uh, to make sure that people have access to more support uh, at all stages of their life. They're also uh, working towards access to independent support for decision-making uh, to give people to the capacity to exercise choice and control in a way that means they have agency and autonomy over the choices they want to make, Ms Lee said. Uh, Also, an update on uh, what's happening in um, Palestine as we see the Gaza death toll nears 18,000 from Israeli attacks. Uh, About 18,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli bombardment since October 7. Um, The director of the health ministry in Gaza also says there are 50,000 people injured in northern Gaza. 
Uh, Of those injured, only 422 have been transferred out of Gaza and 8,000 need immediate medical intervention. What we're also seeing recently is um, a news release from the World Health Organization on Sunday 10th of December, uh, which adopts a resolution on access for life-saving aid into Gaza and respect for laws of war. Uh, This is the first time since 7th of October that a resolution on this conflict has been adopted by consensus within the UN system. Uh, And the press release notes that it underscores the importance of health as a universal priority in all circumstances and the role of healthcare and humanitarianism, even in the most difficult of situations. Uh, The resolution calls for immediate, sustained and unimpeded passage of humanitarian relief, including the access of medical personnel, uh, and it calls on all parties to fulfil their obligation under international law, reaffirming that all parties to armed conflict must comply fully with their obligations. Uh, In his closing remarks, World Health Organization Director General Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said the adoption of the resolution was a starting point. It does not resolve the crisis, but it is a platform. Uh, He added that without a ceasefire, there's no peace. Without peace, there's no health. Uh, He urges all member states, especially those with the most influence, to work with urgency to bring an end to this conflict as soon as possible. And just finally, uh, we wanted to let listeners know that there will be a Palestine protest in Dandenong this Wednesday, the 13th of December at 6pm at Harmony Square. Uh, Residents of Southeast Melbourne have planned a solidarity action and uh, want everybody that can to please attend. Harmony Square is at 225 Lonsdale Street in Dandenong at the library. And it is just a five-minute walk from the train station. There's free parking as well, so um, everybody is encouraged to attend and show their solidarity with Palestine in Dandenong. We're going to go to a track now. This one is by Memphis LK. It's called Black and Blue.
in blue by nam-based artist memphis lk yesterday's women on the line episode brought us a part of an online teaching from the australia palestine advocacy network called how to talk about gaza right now here is the start of that episode this week on the program we bring you part of an online teaching from the australia palestine advocacy network called how to talk about gaza right now the teaching, which took place on December 1st, following the end of the brief ceasefire in Gaza, features Dr. Randa Abdel Fattah, Dr. Lana Tatur, and writer Samat Sabawi. This is facilitator Associate Professor Jemana Bayer opening the conversation now. Good evening, everybody, and welcome. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather and pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging. I extend the deepest respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today and my immense gratitude for their solidarity during this crisis. Sovereignty was never ceded, was and always will be Aboriginal land. Again, thank you for joining us tonight in what is, to put it very mildly, difficult times the last 50 or so days have been an absolute nightmare for, for Palestinians, for people in Gaza and for those of us in the diaspora as well. Some days I wake up thinking of Mahmoud Darwish's poem on this land where he says, we have on this land that which makes life worth living. On other days I think of one poem he wrote during the siege of Beirut in 1982 which applies, I think, very sadly to Gaza today, and it's called The Mask Has Fallen. And in that poem, he says to read just a couplet, they have gone, the ones you love, gone. But every day, my subconscious reminds me of the words of Edward Said. Why Palestine? Because it is a just cause, a noble ideal, a moral quest for equality and human rights. That cause is what we are here for tonight, how to talk about Gaza right now and how to continue to talk about Gaza over the next few days, given the resumption of violence. My name is Jamana Bayer. I'm an Associate Professor at Macquarie University and I'll be facilitating this discussion tonight. 
and I'm joined by three wonderful people. Samah Sabawi is a Palestinian-Australian author and playwright based in Nam. Uh, Dr. Randa Abdel-Fattah is an author and an ARC Future Fellow at Macquarie University. Talana Tartur is a lecturer at UNSW. I'd like to let you know that there will be time towards the end to ask questions, and I encourage you to pop those questions in the Q&A function. I'd like to begin tonight by talking about the immediate present. We've had about, we've just finished, I think, about seven days or six days of a so-called ceasefire, more accurately, a pause in the violence against the people of Gaza. Samah, if possible, if I can direct this question to you, please, and you have family there, as we've been hearing, what do you make of the end of these hostilities, um, the end, sorry, of the ceasefire, I should say, for the residents of Gaza, and what is the situation on the ground for them at the moment, if you could describe that to us? Hi, everyone. Um, thank you for the introduction and for the Mahmoud Darwish poetry. We always go to poetry in times like these. Uh, I come to you from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in Narm. The sovereignty of this land was never ceded. So we've just come out of the seven-day pause in the genocide. And as I speak to you right now, Gaza is being pounded yet again by Israeli fire. At least 21 people have been killed just in the last two hours, and the death toll and the devastation is still mounting. The Gaza Strip is one of the most densely populated areas in the world, with a population of over 2 million. Most are refugees who have been forced to leave their homes in the Nakba, of 1948. Nearly half of Gaza's population is uh, made up of children. Over the course of the last seven weeks, we have watched with horror as thousands of Palestinians were killed and thousands were injured, but it's important to know that the death toll and the number of those injured is still to be counted. There remains many wounded who have not had access to ambulances or to hospitals in spite of the so-called seven-day ceasefire. There are many more dead who have not been collected, including family members. They haven't been counted or buried. I don't know a family who has not had dozens of relatives killed, including my own. And I haven't had a day where I have not paid condolences to relatives and friends. And it is never just one person that you are paying condolences for. It's always several members of a family, if not an entire family, that's been wiped out. With the total devastation of Gaza's healthcare um, and uh, the forced evacuations, uh, the health ministry has not been able to keep up with the collection of data. So I, I urge people not to get stuck on the numbers because they don't reflect the reality. Aside from the dead and the injured, nearly 80% of Gaza's population are currently displaced. Most were forced to leave their homes with very few belongings and to evacuate under Israeli orders from the north of Gaza to the south, where we now know that conditions are absolutely appalling and where not only was there no infrastructure to care for the influx of these displaced refugees, but also there was no and still there is not safety from Israeli bombing. In fact, most of the bombing right now, as I speak to you, is taking place in the south. 
And um, uh, my voice is a little bit shaky because um, we just found out that um, all of my relatives in all the areas that they're in in the south have all received messages just now from the Israeli army. They've dropped flyers um, all over the south telling them that they must all evacuate to Rafah. Now, Rafah is the farthest area in the south near the Egyptian border. The flyer is telling them that this is for their own safety. The flyer is also telling them that there will be a lot of intense bombing to come, unlike anything they've seen before. The Israeli army flyer also ends the announcement, and I was just reading it now, with which means you have been warned and nothing we do after this we can be blamed for. It's a clear threat of inevitable bombing and more devastation to come. And the problem for my family and for all the other families in the South right now is that um, there is no place to go to uh, in, along the border because you're talking about squeezing the entire Gazan population now along the border town Rafah near the Egyptian borders. Um, they're telling them to go to the tents. There aren't enough tents for the people um, and people will probably be killed trying to get there. We're talking about families with elderly, families with uh, people who have been wounded, and families who are already with nothing because they were forced to leave their homes where they had their everything. Um, just uh, um, on the, the situation during the, the, the ceasefire, for the people in the South, before this latest resumption of the genocide, um, because they were all crammed in already very, very cramped areas. Uh, there was a dearth of toilets and showers and water and services. Um, drinking water uh, was a problem, still is a problem. Um, one of my cousins is pregnant and we're very concerned about her safety and her, the safety of the baby because of the water she's drinking. Um, there's an environment of, uh, that is ripe for the spreading of infectious disease, diseases such as cholera and measles. And of course, there is the cold as the winter uh, comes in. People left their homes, again, with not much. So there's no blankets, there's no mattresses, there's no winter coats. Uh, in fact, this pregnant uh, cousin was very happy that she found uh, a warm robe uh, that she is wearing now as a jacket uh, to keep her warm. Hospitals in the South were depleted to begin with um, and are now even more so and are unable to care for the wounded. And we don't know if the hospitals will be allowed to stay. Uh, Israel targets hospitals because they are the, the last uh, place for people to shelter and to get help. And so when the hospitals shut down, as they did in the north of Gaza, that's a sign that they can take over the place with no civilians uh, left there are still civilians left in the north, and they have also received a flyer that I just saw um, on my phone now telling them to get out um, or get killed, basically. Uh, it's estimated maybe 300,000 people were left in the north of Gaza. There are no enough medical facilities. Uh, it's an absolute uh, catastrophe, and it's a man-made catastrophe, and it's a catastrophe made because we are all still unable to get even our government here uh, in this settler colony on the other side of the world to condemn the most basic thing, to condemn the bombing of hospitals, to condemn the fact that babies were found um, in, in, the, in the hospitals, uh, their, their, their bodies were decomposing. 
that there are war crimes being committed, I don't think that is something that we're questioning anymore. I, I'm just questioning the conscience of the world right now. So that was uh, Emma Hart on Women of the Land introducing the recent APAN teaching called How to Talk About Gaza. To hear the full Women on the Line episode, you can go to 3cr.org.au slash womenontheline, which also includes a link to the full teaching. We're going to go to another track now. This one is called We Don't Talk About It by Thelma Plum, and we're playing it just ahead of um, the clip we're going to play from the Respect Rally for 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence, uh, because this song is about um, the silence around violence against women here in Australia. I am driving near the river in West End And I feel like a hug from an old friend I pull over, I nearly crashed my car When I saw him with his arms around her If it happened to me, it'll happen to her It doesn't make it better that I went first We don't talk about it, we don't talk about it If it happened to me, it'll happen to her What the girls went through, yeah, they didn't deserve it We don't talk about it, we don't talk about it Take you to meet all of his friends or gaslight you, make jokes at your expense. Does he whimper and cry when you have sex? Then, right after, talk about his ex. I want to warn you, but I'm scared. You won't think it's true. If it happened to me, it'll happen to her It doesn't make it better that I went first We don't talk about it, we don't talk about it If it happened to me, it'll happen to her What the girls went through, yeah, they didn't deserve it That was We Don't Talk About It by Thelma Plum. Uh, next up, we are playing you a clip uh, from Solidarity Breakfast, uh, which brings us speeches from the Respect Rally, which took place on Friday 24th of November. 
This rally on Melbourne's Parliament steps marked the beginning of the UN 16 Days of Action, which called for an end to violence against girls and women globally. In this clip, we hear the introduction from Annie McLaughlin and speaker Antoinette Braybrook, CEO of JIRA. JIRA provides a culturally safe space for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who experience family violence, and JIRA is one of the opening speakers at the rally. And we're moving on to the march that was uh, held on Friday, Respect March. It was uh, organised by Respect Victoria and it kicked off the 16 days of action against violence against girls and women. Uh, it's a global uh, um, campaign and uh, and you will realise the uh, te- uh, terrible, terrible um, statistic over the last week, which uh, really underlies the uh, need for social change. Uh, um, six women were killed in the last week by um, partner violence in Australia. Uh, that is just extraordinary, really. Uh, but uh, here's a speech from uh, Antoinette Braybrook, who was uh, one of the opening speakers uh, at the rally. But our next speaker will be well known to many of you. Antoinette Braybrook has been the CEO of JIRA since it was established in 2002. JIRA is a place where culture is shared and celebrated and where practical support to Aboriginal women and people who are experiencing or have experienced family violence is available. Please welcome Antoinette. I acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I especially want to acknowledge Annie Joy Murphy for graciously welcoming us and allowing us safe passage on your land for this significant event. An event where we gather year after year to draw attention to how unsafe it is to be a woman in this country. Annie Joy, I look to you for guidance. I thank you for paving the way and for your strength and courage and determination to stay the course, to keep fighting for long overdue recognition of our people so that others in this country might come to recognise and feel privileged to be standing on the unceded lands of the oldest continuous culture in the world. As a woman, an Aboriginal woman, I stand here today outraged that So far in 2023, over 50 women's lives have been violently taken, many by men who know them. At least seven are First Nations women. In the last week alone, six women killed. This is a national emergency an epidemic happening right here in front of us, 
not behind closed doors, and it must end now. I have worked on the front line of Aboriginal women's safety for 21 years, and I have only seen things get worse. The trajectory is all wrong. Today, nationally, our women are 32 times more likely to be hospitalised for family violence than other women. And right here in Victoria, we are 45 times more likely to be hospitalised for family violence than other women. This is unacceptable and despicable. Our lives diminished to a statistic. The Aboriginal women behind these numbers are not seen or inquired after, their lives not valued. Being a woman and being Aboriginal makes us doubly disadvantaged and unsafe. Every minute of every day, Jira witnesses the tangible fear of our women facing not only their abuser, but the system and a society that has denied history and turned its back on our people. The system takes many forms. It purports to protect, but instead it targets, blames, punishes, and too often overlooks Aboriginal women and children's safety. Make no mistake, this is a violent system built on white privilege, dripping with racism. During, during this 16 days of activism, activate your activism and unite with us to amplify our voice, visibility, and messages to drive change. Show up and speak up every day of the year for women. Call out men's violence against women and demand that it end. Advocate with us calling on government to invest in Aboriginal self-determination. Specialist Aboriginal community controlled organisations have the solutions. Give us the resources to innovate with our services and programs des designed and led by us. Stand up, step forward to address the abhorrent racism that exists in this country. Racism that we, as Aboriginal people, live with every minute of every day. Its prevalence finally revealed during what was to be an historic turning point for this country, but instead became a rejection of recognition and a refusal to listen. A deafening silence, destroying the hopes of Aboriginal people and many others. Agitate with us and call for structural change. Stop blaming our women for the violence they experience and stop punishing our women by taking their children. Today, Aboriginal children 
in Victoria are taken from their mums and their families at a rate far greater than at any time since white settlement. Shame. Family violence is a key driver. Advocate for investment into specialist Aboriginal community controlled organisations that support mums to escape the violence safely with their children. Advocate with us to call on the government to put an end to its harsh laws and order policies, misguided advice from those so-called system specialists and experts. It is unacceptable that Aboriginal women are being misidentified as perpetrators of violence, criminalised and then thrown into a prison cell. It is unacceptable that almost 90% of Aboriginal women in prison have experienced family and sexual violence. Prison is not a place to heal. Finally, JIRA asks that you join our campaign by getting active in this 16 days of activism. Keep an eye out on our social media for what's happening and what you can do. Get behind us in our calls for investment to st establish and create our 21-year vision for an Aboriginal Women's Centre in Victoria, the first of its kind, a place where Aboriginal women can ac access critical services for their safety, a place where women can celebrate being First Nations women and a centre that enriches the lives of all people in Victoria. You can show up. That was Antoinette Braybrook, CEO of Dura, and thanks to Annie McLaughlin for that clip. Catch Soliday Breakfast Saturdays at 7.30. Uh, next, we'll play you a song uh, called Something to Believe in from Nam-based musician, songwriter, storyteller and third culture kid, Moju. Uh, the track Something to Believe in is from Moju's album Oru Plata Mata, released in 2023. There is very little faith that I have left in us Very little proof that I have seen that there is heaven up above Very little of heaven above Despite our odds I just don't learn An empty cup Can't set your thirst Despite our odds I just don't learn An empty cup
just playing under there is Moju with something to believe in. On Sunday, the 10th of December, thousands of people gathered in the center of Nam for the ninth consecutive week to demand an immediate ceasefire in Gaza, an end to the Israeli occupation, and a call for free Palestine. Before the rally, Fung sat with Lana from the Sit Intifada to talk about the growing resistance movement, the importance of finding community, and what actions we can and should take for the fight for Palestinian justice and liberation. I'm joined now by Lana, who is one of the organisers with the Sit Intifada. Welcome to 3CR, Lana. I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourself to our listeners. Thank you, Fung. Uh, so my name is Lana Laham. I am a Palestinian person living here on stolen Wurundjeri country. I am a social work student and currently working as a disability support worker um, and also an organiser in um, the space for the Free Palestine Movement. For listeners who may not know what the Sit Intifada is, could you please just give a brief summary of the campaign here that's been going on um, since October 7? Yes. So the Sit Intifada was started originally by one single person uh, who we refer to as Ammor, which is uncle, um, Ammor Ihab, who began sitting on the steps of parliament 54 days ago now to essentially demand uh, what the what the demands were of the sin intifada are for our government to call for a ceasefire so to our encourage our MPs our state MPs and our federal MPs to rally around um, for a ceasefire to call for an end to the occupation and to call to put sanctions on the Israeli government for the genocide they're committing right now on the Palestinian people and it seems like the movement has been growing since then. Can you talk about what the response has been like from people who have come to, to seek out this movement but also passers-by? So I think that what the City Intifada has done has created this communal space for people to come and learn about what is going on right now in Palestine. They get first-hand knowledge from the uncles that have lived through... Uh, multiple wars from the early 60s right through up until now. Um, They get stories from uncles who have family right now in Gaza who are experiencing this uh, violent occupation and constant bombardment since October the 7th. They are getting to share in stories about or getting to listen uh, to stories about culture and tradition and through that um, have I guess uh, decided that they want to kind of stay on board with the Sit Intifada uh, in solidarity with the Palestinian people. And what we do here every day is we we welcome people with open arms to sit with us to learn about the history, to organise with us, to plan actions, to call on our MPs, um, to call for a ceasefire. And it's really just a space where we can care and hold each other as well. There's a lot of grief happening. Uh, There's a lot of mourning happening right now. And we're able to do that with like-minded people who really care about what is going on in Gaza. Yeah, and what is going on to oppress people all around the world, actually. I was wondering if you could talk more about these other actions that the Sit Intifada has been um, a part of, has helped organise, um, has helped support, as well as the, I guess, the relationship or connection between all the struggles that are going on in the world at the moment. Yeah, I think that since what has happened on October the 7th, uh, there has been this 
weird energy shift where people are starting to realize that enough is enough. I think off, off of the back of what we've experienced with COVID and Black Lives Matter, uh, we really haven't had a break uh, in order to kind of recoup and grieve and rest after just facing catastrophe after catastrophe. And I think that the Sittentifada is ushering in this consciousness of a global recognition of every kind of oppression that's happening right now so we are not only leading the rallies every Sunday um, we have uh, we've kind of broken up into little subgroups where people are able to utilize their own skills to help the sit intifada so we have the stitch intifada where we have these incredible creatives uh, putting together a tapestry that is representative of Palestinian culture we have uh, subgroups coming off to plan actions, um, sit-ins at uh, MPs' offices. Most of us go to any other protest uh, that is happening, whether it be for the school strike um, for Palestine, whether it be extinction rebellions, climate protests, because that we understand that all of our struggles are interconnected, all of our liberation is interconnected. And so if we show up for Palestine, we have to show up for every other oppressed group around the world right now. For sure. And one thing that I, th I think many of us have really, um, we've noticed for a while now is the, the connection between the struggle for liberation and justice for First Nations people here in so-called Australia being so tightly connected to the liberation and justice, um, self-determination of the Palestinian people. I was wondering if you could comment on, on that shared struggle yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I've had a few people ask me, why do we think that our Australian government hasn't done anything and we don't have to look any further than in our own backyard to, like, to find the answers? Um, this, this country, so-called Australia, was built on a genocide, on the invasion of uh, Indigenous people's land. And so, really, it is a settler colony supporting a settler colony. Um, if Australia was to take a completely dignified stance against what is going on in Palestine, it would mean that they would have to look closely to their history and rectify a lot of what has been done uh, to our First Nations people. And I don't really think that this country is ready to have that conversation. But I think for us as a people, we need to keep decolonization of all aspects, of all forms, in front of mind. So if we are fighting for Palestine, we need to change our thinking uh, around how we view First Nations people in this country because it's all one and the same. I think that if our governments, like they have showed us over the past two months, uh, are not going to listen to us, then we need to um, build stronger community. I think the antithesis, the antithesis to colonialism and white supremacy is community. If we are able to share in resources and skills with each other, the less we need to rely on our governments. And I think that if we can do that hand in hand with our First Nations people, utilise First Nations knowledge, which is so important, which has sustained this country, this, these countries for th tens of thousands of years, then we know that this is the knowledge that's going to sustain us for the future and these are the voices that we need to privilege. That's such a great way of putting it, Lana. Thank you. I think as well, like, it's always really important to keep in mind that community is what the people say it is and how we form together and come together and it's not something that is being implemented from a top-down approach. Exactly. I think that a lot of people have come to the sit intifada and the the kind of recurring statements that I've heard here is this is the first time I feel like I'm actually a part of a community. The love and the care and the uh, attention to just uh, the attention to other people, the, the, the listening, 
the um, the wanting to make sure that people are being fed and cared for and sleeping, all of these things like that come from genuine care that I've known since I was a child because I grew up with a Palestinian parent and an Mauritian parent, so the community was so front of mind um, for both my um, parents' cultures, especially because they both grew up quite poor, so they understood that really it's community that is going to like carry you through. Um, so hearing from people that they have found community for the first time in the Sit Intifada is, is really special because it's really representative of the communities that a lot of POC people have um, experienced growing up and have maybe lost now living in the West. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about the role of the media. I think, yeah, even myself interviewing you, even though we're community radio, I guess we do also, we need to make sure that we're not complicit in trying to exploit um, uh, Palestinian voices and their pain and their grief and actually be able to find a way to like you said, work with the Palestinian community to ensure that we're calling for a ceasefire, an end to the occupation, an end to the genocide. I wondered if you could talk about the role of the media at the moment. I think that, unfortunately, the mainstream media, we are fighting a narrative war with at the moment. The unfortunate thing about fighting a settler colony or a violent settler colony that is backed by Western imperial powers is that they have a lot of money and resources to shape a narrative uh, through the mainstream media. And therefore, we are really relying on people with integrity and dignity that are willing to platform Palestinian voices and share our truth in order to get a perspective of the story that isn't commonly seen out there. I think that being able to share footage and um, the voices of Palestinian people just engaging in acts of community uh, and joy as resistance is also really important. I don't think we always need to be platforming our trauma and our pain because we are seeing that every single day. We are seeing, especially if you're scrolling on social media, if you're avid on social media right now and are following a lot of um, pro-Palestinian pages, you will know the extent of the violence that Palestinian people are enduring but I think it's also important to show who we are as a people and show our endurance and our resilience and the love that we still have for one another and the care that we will still demonstrate to one another in the face of all of this violence. Yeah it makes me think of the posts from so many journalists and people on the ground um, sharing videos of people cooking on the side of the road for each other, um, sharing coffee and and resources with one another, um, finding moments of joy as an act of resistance. So yeah, I think that's a really important point to make as well. Every Sunday, you know, we see thousands of people gathering in the centre of Nam to rally for a free Palestine. We've also got actions here and there trying to disrupt ships um, off in the docks, like you said, protest sit-ins in, in MPs' offices. What do you think is the next step um, here in so-called Australia in terms of actions that we need to take in order to be heard and to ensure that, yeah, MPs and everyone out there are, are listening to our demands? Yeah, I think that um, the last two months have told us that the, the sit-ins and the protests that we're doing are obviously not enough to um, shake some sense into our leaders. And therefore, we really need to be committing to actions that is going to impact them materially and economically, because I think that that's the only way that they're going to get on board. These so-called leaders of so-called Australia only deal in economics, only deal 
deal in money. And if there is a way that we can make that happen, um, there is currently a um, call out for a global strike tomorrow, the 11th. And we are encouraging people to stay home. Uh, We are encouraging unionists to let their union members know to stay home because we need to hit them where it hurts. And that's if if we're able to do that and show this country that it is the, the working class people that run this country, not our leaders, not the top 1%. It is us that makes this country run and it is with us that we will decide whether the country continues to run in the face of a genocide. I don't think it's should, there shouldn't be business as usual when there's a genocide happening. Thank you, Lana. Finally, if people want to join the Sit Intifada to find out more, uh, can you tell our listeners uh, where they can go to find information, where they can actually find you? Yes. So we are on Instagram primarily at the Sit Intifada. Um, so T H E S I T I N T I F A D A for anyone that needs the spelling. Um, We are here at the Steps of Parliament just off of Spring Street every single day from 7am to about 9 till 10pm at night. We welcome anyone who is interested in learning, interested in supporting the Palestinian people, interested in showing solidarity. Anyone is welcome here. We have food, we have umbrellas, we have water. There's uh, basically everything that you need to sit here and be comfortable for the day. And yeah, we encourage people to come along and um, be in solidarity with us. Thank you so much, Lana, for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So that was Fung speaking with Lana from the Sit Intifada. Just a reminder that you can join the Sit Intifada every single day from 7am to 9pm on the steps of Parliament in Nam. You can also follow them on Instagram at the Sit Intifada gonna play a track for you now uh this song is by yara a palestinian singer-songwriter based here in nam who will be joining us at 8 15 to talk about music and activism uh this song is called bad behavior Thank you. 
That was Bad Behaviour by Yara, who will be joining us at 8.15 for a chat. On Tuesday the 21st of November, Maribyrnong City Council passed an incredible pro-Palestine motion. A day later, one of the councillors rescinded their support for said motion, resulting in a barrage of community action, urging the councillor and the mayor to reconsider. To talk to us about that motion and what ended up happening, as well as the importance of local council and community support for Palestine, is Liz Walsh from the Victorian Socialists. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast, Liz. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, you know, as we know, this whole thing has been a bit of a roller coaster mm-hmm. um, with with what happened uh, with the Maribyrnong motion. I was hoping you could start by just telling listeners a little bit about the motion and what it entailed. Wow, right. Well, the motion was uh, drafted by Victorian Socialist Councillor Jorge Hokera, and um, the motion was uh, not just a simple ceasefire motion, although it did contain that. It was very much calling for um, an immediate end to the bombardment of Gaza, which has so devastated um, the Gaza Strip and resulted in tens of thousands of deaths. Um, but it also called for justice for Palestine, so an end to the siege on Gaza, which has been in place since 2006, since um, Hamas was actually elected. So uh, for you know 17 years, the people of Gaza have... Um, have been under a blockade, not able to get adequate food, medicine, construction materials through, so it called for an end to that, and also an end to Israel's um, ongoing occupation, illegal occupation of Palestinian land. So it was very much um, a call uh, for justice for the Palestinians, recognising that Palestinian people are oppressed um, by the Israeli state. Um, It also had some concrete measures as well about ways that we can show solidarity, not just a um, you know, a statement of support, but um, a flying of the flag, the Palestinian flag, over um, a council building, which is a very kind of um, important um, symbolic uh, show of support, a very visible public show of support for the Palestinians, and um, an investigation into whether the council has uh, contracts with companies that operate out of uh, the occupied territories and or if they have relationships with the Israeli military and calling for um, a breaking of those sort of contracts, if that's the case, um, a, a boycott, divestment, sanctions kind of action that has been something that the Palestinian civil society has called for for so many years. Um, so, yeah, it was a really exciting um, motion of support for people that are facing a genocide right now and are being annihilated. Um, we think it's so important that all institutions in Australian society speak up. Um, so we're so pleased to see um, Jorge O'Kara's motion um, get put to the Maribyrnong Council and supported on that um, initial night. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the especially the um, concrete actions mm. detailed in the motion. You know, I was at that council meeting and I just, I thought that in particular was really, really great because it's, it, it's of course great to show solidarity, but, you know, that's something that capitalism kind of speaks to these global leaders that don't seem mm-hmm. to have a lot of empathy. And so... I think it was so great that that was addressed as a part of the motion and I think was part of the reason maybe that it was a bit contentious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you take us through what happened? Because, yeah, on the night it was passed and then mm-hmm. a day later um, it was rescinded. Yeah, can you just take us through what happened there? Sure. So, yeah, on the night um, the motion was 
um, yeah, put by the Victorian Socialist Councillor and seconded by the Greens Councillor, Bernadette Thomas. Um, and it was also voted in support by the, um, the other Greens Councillor on council. Um, to our surprise, um, Anthony Tran, who was elected to council as an independent um, on a kind of young Vietnamese leadership ticket, um, he also supported the motion. It was a surprise because he's been since elected blocking with the Labor Party and helping to provide the Labor Party. There are three Labor councillors on Maribyrnong Council with um, a majority. That's four to three usually. Um, but this time round, he said um, in response to one of the arguments by the Labor, Labor councillor that uh, you know we, we couldn't possibly support the policies because we haven't consulted the public. He said, "Well, it, um, the mass protests." show where the community stands, so he felt comfortable to support it. Um, so it was quite a roller coaster on the night because he was actually uh, phoning in from Canberra, I believe it was. He had 5% left on his phone, and the mayor, who's a Labor councillor, kept trying to um, stall and um, ask his, if that really was his vote and just double-checking, and we felt like at any moment his connection was about to end. In fact, he constantly was without audio connection. and It was a very tense few minutes. Um, but, yeah, the vote got confirmed and it was pure elation in the room. It felt like a real, you know, um, small victory for us to be able to um, to have this motion supported. Uh, we had 30 or so people from the community also come to the council meeting to show their support for the motion. Um, and it was a good chance as well for us to sort of talk to each other and to help build up, um, you know, pro-policy networks, I guess, in the community. Um, but, yeah, as you said, Less than 24 hours later, the um, Anthony Tram, the Independent, had um, backtracked. Um, we have, we're not entirely sure of the process of how that happened, but <clears throat> most likely he was called by the Labor Party to say, you know, you can't possibly support this motion and pressured to back down. And, you know, he probably wants a career in the Labor Party and, you know, that, um, that uh, you know, can be jeopardised by actually standing up for Palestine. So, yeah, he he moved a motion seconded by two Labor councillors, um, Buklam um, and the other awful guy, I forgot his name, Michael Clark, um, to say that they were going to overturn the motion. So that was um, a real display, I guess, in some ways of the nature of the Labor Party. You know, the, it's one of the reasons why we want local council to stand up is because our own government, the federal government and the state government, have been in lockstep with Israel's massacre in Gaza, um, providing you know um, a huge amount of support, um, diplomatic um, political support to Israel. Um, so, you know, it added that kind of importance to take a stand, but also it gave us a, a vision of like that machine, the labor machine, cracking down on any expression of support for Palestine. Uh, so since then, since the um, the notice that they were going to rescind the motion, there's been quite a lot of community campaigning to put pressure on the councillors. Um, so we've had <clears throat> the Islamic Council of Victoria um, uh, organise a meeting with the council. Uh, there was, you know, lot, like the councils were inundated with letters from the community as well. Um, also prominent um, Jewish Voices for Peace, uh, Jazama Silverstein um, also helped lay some pressure on um, the APAM, which has been one of the key organisations uh, organising the mass protests, have also um, put pressure on so 
So those key organisations plus just grassroots community support, uh, it's clear that it um, was uh, seen as perhaps, you know, uh, creating too much of an important organising opportunity for pro-Palestinian voices, and so they've, they've thankfully withdrawn their attempt to rescind the motion, which is really fantastic. And we were planning to have a demonstration at the front of council tonight as part of putting pressure. Um, you know, Victorian Socialist members have been going around postering the community to try and um, spread the word. Uh, so while that won't go ahead in the same way, you know, we'll still be meeting 6 o'clock tonight out the front of Braybrook Community Hub because uh, we're going to actually be having the Palestinian flag raised. There'll be a chance for us to... Um, I guess, celebrate this small victory. Very few of them when it comes to the question of Palestine um, and to hopefully really increase our resolve to continue to build this movement um, in support of the Palestinians. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the uh, rescinded motion was taken back only a few days ago and it was, you know, everybody was kind of had a second round of elation mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in the community, which is great. Um I remember at that first meeting, one of the councillors who supported the motion said as part of his sort of statement that, you know, we're just a small council on the other end of the world to Palestine, but it still matters that we stand up for something this big. Um, You know, can you, you you, you touched on it a little bit before, but can you give us your thoughts on why this is so important and clearly like how much it matters to the community? Yeah, well, I think... it matters for a whole range of reasons. So the one that I already mentioned was about the um, the fact that our own federal government has, um, you know, it is, is uh, in support of Israel's massacre in Gaza. Um, so it's really important that people in Australia do what we can to pressure our own government to break its ties um, with this racist and apartheid state that's committing a genocide, you know, that, that is important, that we we say that our government doesn't act in our name. And part of showing that our government doesn't act in our name is the mass protests that we've been seeing on Sunday, like huge outpouring of solidarity with Palestinians, but also trying to, to press in every little corner of civil society um, a pro-Palestinian position. Um, so local council is part of that, and it's part of, you know, um, campaigning then to federal government to change its position um, but probably, you know, like the Australian government backs Israel for its own imperialist reasons, you know, like it's um, a part of the US bloc and the US sees Israel as key to maintaining its uh, dominance over the Middle East. So breaking that relationship is not going to be an easy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few motions won't do that. Um, but it does. The other thing that I think is important is that it helps to embolden our side, the side of justice, the side of peace, the side, you know, of people who want to. Um, resist this genocide, that um, it can embolden our side. So that sense that we're not alone, that there are many other people um, and organisations that feel as strongly as we do when we see in our news feeds, you know, endless pictures of children that have been killed by Israeli bombs or children who are now orphaned thanks to Israeli bombs, you know, that feel don't just feel like, oh, well, that's the Palestinians for their lives, don't matter, you know, maybe they were a Hamas supporter that had that sense of humanity, like that, that there are other people that also feel this like intense rage and grief about what's happening. So um, that kind of, that's important because we need to build that mass movement on our side. Um, so it's, 
you know, so, so it helps to embolden us. But also I think it's a message to the Palestinians themselves that, um, you know, that we stand with you, that, um, that while the whole of the Western ruling class might be backing Israel's murder, they, that the that ordinary people can see through the lies of our media and our politicians and um, and and stand with them. That that is also an important part of getting motions like this up and having building the movement um, in the um, on the streets and yeah wherever we can. Definitely, and yeah, I think you're right. A lot of people. Um, are feeling like they're sort of screaming into the void at the moment. Um, mm. And so a win like this, you know, it does give you a sense of being heard. And hopefully um, it does, especially for Palestinians in our communities here. Um, mm. I hope that, you know, they do feel supported through through actions like this. Um, mm-hmm. As you said, the Palestinian flag will be raised tonight at Braybrook Community Hub at 6pm. So we encourage all our listeners, especially those in the West, to come down and support this action. Um, Liz, that's all we have time for this morning, but thank Mm -hmm. you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you so much for putting on this item. I really appreciate it. So that was Liz Walsh Walsh from the Victorian Socialist talking to us about supporting Palestine um, through local council and through community action. Um, As I said, we encourage all our listeners to come along tonight at 6pm and watch the raising of the Palestinian flag at Braybrook Community Hub. We will be right back with our final conversation for this morning with musician Yara right after this. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Talk Back with Attitude is having a picnic with principles. And that's all you'll get if you don't bring a plate. 12 noon on Thursday, the 14th of December, Parliament Gardens, corner of Spring and Lonsdale Streets in the city. I can't believe this. Pasquale is in bloody Sydney and he's telling us there's a picnic and MTL's talking about principles. Just bring food and drink, okay? Food and drink. Stuff the principles. Stuff Celebrate the- getting through another year. Come to our Picnic with Platitudes by Talk Back with Attitude. And if you don't bring food to share and something to drink, all you'll get is attitude. Save the date, 12 noon, Thursday the 14th of December at Parliament Gardens near the corner of Spring and Lonsdale Streets. Pasquale, you're not here. We've removed you from the 3CR Talk Back with Attitude records. Come along to a picnic, picnic in, in the, the park. park with the Talk Back team. We'll see you on the 14th. Yara is a Palestinian singer-songwriter and producer based here in Nam. Her soul is a her sound is a melting pot of soul, pop, indie, R&B and jazz. 
Yara joins us this morning to discuss music and activism and the gig she's curating, Nam in Solidarity with Palestine, which will be at the Gasumado Hotel on the 20th of December. Welcome to 3CR, Yara. Hello, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Uh, So for our listeners, you migrated from Palestine as a 12-year-old and moved to Colac in regional Victoria. Can you tell us about that experience and spending uh, those formative years in Colac? Yeah, it was um, very interesting. Um, uh, For those listening who don't know, Colac is about two hours out of the city. It's like an hour past Geelong um, Westway. So um, I moved there when I was, yeah, 12-ish, um, and uh, it was really interesting for the good old identity. Um, love the beautiful people of Colac, but it is a majority a uh, very white population. Um, and so, yeah, it was... Um, I had I have natural curly hair, and for the majority of those years, it was straightened. Um, I didn't have and and didn't see anyone, you know, that looked like me for a long time. Um, So, yeah, and I think, you know, bless my parents when when we moved here, um, they really wanted us to to integrate. um, Two of them there, my dad's a a GP and mum was a medical scientist, and so they're very logical about things, and they were like, okay, um, we can't pop the kids within, you know, like um, a community perhaps that's mo- mostly Middle Eastern. That's probably not the best plan. Like, we want them to fit in. Um, and they kind of overdid it by accident. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, it was kind of really, really tough um, identity-wise to figure out, you know, who I am. And I felt like there was something sort of always missing. Um, but, yeah, I moved to Melbourne um, in 2016 to study and get into music. And um, it's been so, so, so incredible to not just meet Middle Eastern people, but also, like, meet some Palestinian people. And um, you really don't understand how much it impacts your life um, and your everything really is because sort of just seeps into everything when you're missing a part of yourself. Um, and yeah, that was really, really special to change and I'm still yeah working on it. And, um, I feel like, yeah, I'm getting a part of myself back that I've, you know, missed forever. Mm. Uh, I've seen like your, you on social media and you're particularly active, especially at the moment with everything that's going on. Do you think, uh, like feeling, maybe that lack of connection in your childhood or in your teenage years is, like has fueled your desire to really speak out at this particular time? A hundred percent. I feel like um, it's kind of surreal what's happening. It's so, so personal. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that I've dealt with forever, you know, being Palestinian. And, you know, I came from the Gaza Strip. I moved here when I was 12, Um it's so personal. I feel like it's something that I've not have hidden, but not something that I felt comfortable sharing. And so, um, because it always gets some sort of weird reaction where you feel like you're an alien, Mm. basically. Um, so having this be on a global 
level, something that is spoken about now and that people are fighting for and that are so passionate about is just, it's incredible and it's also confronting in a way. Like it's, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this, thinking about this every single day, thinking of my family, like all of my dad's side are still there, like over 30 people. We just applied for all of them to try and come to Australia. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. But, um, it, yeah, it's something so personal that is just, um, yeah, it always, yeah, it's just like, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really public now, which is amazing. Um, but it is, it's been, yeah, very, very trying times. Mm. I saw your set at Queenscliff Music Festival a few weeks ago and you you spoke really beautifully about being from Gaza and uh, in particular I liked how you said, or I thought it was poignant how you said the hole in your heart increases with each Israeli aggression and the genocide that's occurring at the moment. And, and going back to what you were saying about it being on such a public stage at the moment, but sometimes talking about being Palestinian has gotten strange reactions, I thought, taking such a public stance in a place that maybe you're not as familiar with or don't know what the reaction is going to be was what I found quite moving and you spoke about wanting to explore using music as activism and that you were kind of at the start of figuring that out so I'd love for you to tell us a bit more about that and that exploration. Yeah it's something um, that I've been thinking and overthinking about honestly um I, yeah, I'm so inspired. Um, it's also like it's not a, it's not an option. I feel like mm. not to speak about this. It's so so aggravating. It's so personal. I feel like in music as well. You know, like with branding yourself as an artist, and I'm I'm recently in still a new artist. Like, um, it's become so shocking and jarring to me how controversial being Palestinian is, and especially like being from Gaza. It's crazy how just saying facts like where, where I'm from is controversial like I've even had people at events like try to hide that and mm. not mention it and it's just crazy to be like no one no one experiences that well not, not many people and like mainly Palestinians and I just don't understand why it's just so yeah it's it's racist and it's bizarre um and it, yeah it's so aggravating I can't just not speak about it and it's also very interesting like watching all of my own friends that belong to school with um that also migrated out of Gaza around the same time I did, like, also become activists. Like, we're all we're all different. We do, we do different things. Like, I've got a lawyer friend. I've got a photographer friend. I've, I've got many different friends of different things. And they're all using their skills. And they've all just turned into activists. Um, and it's just, like, it's, it's not a choice, unfortunately. Like, it's just such a personal, aggravating um, thing that is attached to our identity. And so... I've just said to myself, you know, I can't. I'm. I'm not going to try and be cool and mysterious as an as a musician <laughs> or as an artist. This is not the way, and I don't want to live in a world where that's something that I should do. Definitely. Um, I'm a person first, and and I'm a Palestinian person first before anything, um, and a human being. And it, and it's just not 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 okay what's going on. And there's it's not an option to not become an activist and talk about it. Um, and so I have to use my skills and I have to use what, I, what I've got um, to speak as loudly as, as possible about this. Um, so, yeah, I've just been really inspired by people like me and Ms. Simone. Um, she's, I've always been a huge fan of her. My mum loves her and she introduced um, her to me when I was 
younger. Um, and so I've been I've added one of her songs to my to my set recently that I've been doing, um, which is um, I wish uh, I, I knew what it uh, how it felt to be free, um, which is a beautiful beautiful song. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm learning as I go. Um, yeah. And you've curated a fundraiser gig, which will be at the Gasso in Collingwood, which is in collaboration with Mudrat, and all profits will be donated to the Australian Palestine Advocacy Network, who work to raise Palestinian voices, organise rallies and a lot more. Can you tell the listeners about this project and where people can get tickets? Yes, so this project, I'm so, so proud of it. It really came from... Nothing but a conversation. Um, me and Mud Rap and my friend Sean, um, we were at one of the rallies and I was in a really terrible emotional, mental state. And he sort of just came up with this idea and said, you know what, like, you just let's put on a gig, let's do what we can, let's raise money for the for APAN so they can keep putting on these rallies every week. Um, and you just tell me, like, the creative vision, and I will do all the admin and all the silly email work and, and get it done, which is so sweet and I think is just so brilliant um, and kind to, you know, figure out something that we can do and just do it. Um, and, yeah, it's it's come along beautifully, and we have just an incredible lineup of artists, um, we've got myself and Sean playing, as well as Aki um, and Sarabit and Ms. Risk and Ramsey. And also, I can't believe we even got him, but Baru Sura, who's an incredible, incredible um, local Nam legend. Um, he's, a, he's collaborated with Mac Miller um, on his album, um, Swimming. And it's just crazy that, yeah, we've... We've got him, um, and I'm so, so excited for this gig. It's at the Gasometer Hotel um, in Collingwood on the 20th of this month, a Wednesday. Um, you can get your tickets at the at the Gasometer Hotel website. Um, just look up, literally type in Palestine in the search bar and the gig should come up. Um, yeah, and it's uh, free tickets for all Indigenous and Palestinian people. Incredible. I feel like it's going to be such a great night and using music as solidarity is so important and powerful. So thank you. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this morning, Yara, but we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. We've been chatting with Nam-based Palestinian singer-songwriter on exploring activism using music. As she mentioned, tickets to Nam in Solidarity with Palestine, which is going to be at the Gasso next Wednesday, can be found at the Gasometer Hotel website. We've uh, run out of time on our show this morning, uh, so we will be here. We Summer programming will still be on for the rest of the year, and we will be back next year in January. Stay tuned to Breakfast for the rest of the week, and we will see you in the new year.